having the data to recognize and weed out and figure out who the right shoppers are versus ones who are who are going to be a drain on your operating expenses. Those are those are the keys that that we really unlocked when we got into marketplaces. Hi, this is Peter Stork, and you're listening to Unscheduled Maintenance. I'd like all our listeners out there to run themselves through a quick hypothetical exercise. Imagine you're the GM of a store and you need to hire a new marketing manager. Now, the owner has given you a mission to grow both traffic to the website and also inbound leads by 20%. But you can't spend a penny more than what you already are. You have to find the right person to help you make that leap. As you're going through interviews, you come across a candidate who has no experience in automotive or marketing, but does have a PhD in physics. Now, do you invite them in for an interview? Let's be honest, your immediate reaction there would usually be no, but our conversation this week may change your mind. Our guest today is John Thornton, VP of Growth Marketing at Cars. Now, prior to Cars, John spent time at both Google and at RentPath learning all the ins and outs of how to effectively drive quality traffic to a third-party marketplace. He's made a career of building unique, multi-talented teams of marketers that find unique ways to connect audiences and clients, and he's able to find opportunity where others aren't even looking. Thanks for hopping on with us today, John, and I hope things are going well. Yeah, things are great. So looking at your background, the six-letter word that stands out in your history, as it would anyone's, is Google. Tell us a little bit, if you don't mind, about your experiences at the company that's really reshaped marketing in this century. Yeah, it was uh, fantastic. I, I went to Google first, actually, to work in the travel industry. So uh, worked with a pretty diverse group, but worked with your online travel agencies, your big Expedia's, Orbitz uh, companies, as well as some of your smaller tourism groups. Uh, but you worked with this really diverse group of marketers who had different challenges, some who had to make margins inside of a flight work, which are famous for their low margin, that mo- low margin business. And then you had other ones who were trying to boost tourism to an entire destination and country. Uh, so it was really interesting view and in, in how you built digital solutions to solve for both of those problems uh, gave a, a wide array of things to work on. So before arriving in the auto space, as you mentioned, kind of in that tourism uh, arena, including hotels, and that's, that's kind of similar from a vertical perspective in some ways to automotive. What were you able to learn in both of those arenas about marketing for a marketplace versus marketing for the seller themselves, which the elements are the same, whether you're the national brand or local dealer and and what some of the differences are? Yeah, I think one of the things that jumped out uh, in travel and why it was a great place to start in travel is that is uh, a really advanced digital platform. I mean, companies like Booking.com, I think one of my favorite metrics of all time is like if you look at the day that... Uh, Google IPO. You'd think there can't possibly be many stocks that have done better than Google did over that time period. Booking.com actually has done significantly better, four times uh, as strong as Google did over that time period, which is an incredible metric to, to look at. And it was competitive with Expedia and all of these different OTAs. There was this blitz in the mid-90s, uh, people trying to claim share. And so what that means is hyper competition, a lot of thought around how to get inside of tight margins, build business, get customers to come back on a regular basis. Uh, and, And that sharpened the edges of how data could inform those decisions so that those businesses could gain just even single percent gains over someone else. Uh, That ultimately was the winners and losers of that industry. Uh, So I worked on that for a while and then actually jumped into marketplaces, not on the auto side, but actually jumped into the real estate side, which was still relatively young, a little bit younger than than even auto is. Uh, That was working with companies like Zillow. And when I was first working with Zillow, 
uh, their marketing team was was two people, right? It was it was a startup in Seattle. They had really invested in products, had not uh, taken huge strides in uh, in how to build a marketplace, and so connecting to create good relationships for uh, finding the right consumers and finding home shoppers and bringing that data to light is what what they were specializing in, and then uh, doing the same thing so that a realtor and real estate agents could find good value was trying to balance both sides of that. But the but the fundamentals stayed the same, which is how do you find the right people with the right intent, with the right value so that you both can bring in that customer and then also recognize when uh, someone might not be as valuable. And I think any of our uh, dealer partners know that person. It might be the the person who comes in but doesn't ever buy, right? So it takes a lot of time or continues to send leads because they want to talk about cars but don't necessarily ever want to get to a transaction. So having the data to recognize and weed out and figure out who the right shoppers are versus ones who are who are going to be a drain on your operating expenses those are those are the keys that that we really unlocked when we got into marketplaces yeah real estate seems like a good comp because when you think about travel not that we don't all dream and like to put together you know our 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 you know desired vacation but i would think a lot of that would be i'm looking for a hotel i'm looking for a flight because i have a specific purpose versus both with real estate and auto where I might just want to look and see what big houses are out there. I might just want to see what kind of cars are out on the market. So you might have to wade through a little bit more of the looky-loos in those two than you would in travel. Yeah, I think I think one of my uh, one thing that really highlights that is the number of homes that sold in the United States in the time that I was working on this on a monthly basis was about half a million. And Zillow went up to one point in time 150 million monthly visitors their entire network, huge number. The number of homes that were sold the next month was still about half a million. So the question is, what were the 149,500,000 people doing who didn't buy a home that month? And, and so you have to recognize the difference between who's casually shopping for a house, who's casually shopping for a car, who's serious about it, who's interested in buying, um, and who's looking to make that next step. If you don't understand the difference, you can spend all your time by looking at people who seem to have good digital signals, who seem really engaged in your product, who seem to be um, delivering. But if you if you aren't able to parse out that difference and recognize the data signals one way or the other, then, then you can spend a, a lot of marketing dollars on the wrong people. So after all that, you landed here at Cars. And I'd like to talk a little bit, if we can, about your approach uh, and leadership philosophies for data-driven marketing and, and how you've been able to kind of push Cars forward over the last few years? Yeah, it's been, uh, we, we made an update and really looked, uh, I think over the last year and recognized that those data signals were the things that we needed to get down to dealers. And in order to do that, it was gonna take minds that were comfortable looking at tens of millions of, of users that are coming to cars.com on a regular basis. And so you mentioned in your, in your intro the, that we brought in someone with a, a PhD in physics. I think one of my other ones I like to talk about is one of the members of our team used to be the president of a coffee importer, right? So we have a really diverse group, but what each of those people bring to the table is comfort with really large data sets, right? A recognition from the beginning that solving the problem is the answer to the question is in the data that you're looking at. It's just about how comfortable you are at, at finding it. Uh, or people who have an awareness to solve complex issues with a lot of differences and, and recognize what those trade-offs can be in a real business sense, right? Because I think it, at, at times, every dealer has worked with a marketplace that maybe drove leads up, but then it seemed like the quality maybe dropped off or they weren't getting as many, maybe the quality was better. It, always trying to balance that seesaw is really difficult. It's difficult for us 
um, trying to create that feedback loop. And so you need people who can parse through that data uh, and try to recognize and build those signals and then sometimes have to build data where data doesn't exist. And I think that's one of the things that you need more now is someone who's comfortable to build the infrastructure to, to be effective. It seems like that would be a trap that a lot of people would fall in to say, why limit yourself to someone who's been in this space when you can learn the auto space easier than you can learn to do the task that you need the person for. It, 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 that I think is just a great lesson for every team, right? I always try to bring in people who are, everyone's heard the mantra to bring in someone who's you know smarter than you, but also thinking about bringing in uh, people who have completely unique experiences. The last several months have forced the hands of many dealers and OEMs alike to explore more efficient marketing tactics. Meanwhile, consumers are looking for both frictionless buying options and businesses that can make them feel safe in our new normal. These factors have led to in-market video getting a lot of well-deserved attention in our industry. Cars Fuel Solution leverages data-driven targeting to reach true in-market consumers wherever they're consuming video, whether it's on social, OTT, or other online video platforms. No matter where these in-market consumers are, you can spread the word to them about not only your current incentives, but what steps your brand is taking to enable safe shopping. Speak to your cars.com representative today to learn more about in-market video, or visit fuel.cars to see how being an early adopter can help you transform your marketing strategy. And without giving away all of our secret sauce, what are some of the tactics uh, that you did put in place to kind of help cars succeed? I think a, a couple uh, a couple things have really jumped out. Really centralizing all of cars marketing and making all of our main metrics things that prioritize dealer return, right? And what I mean by that is the ultimate goal for us should be, are we helping dealers sell cars, right? The investment in us is an expectation that a dealer will sell a vehicle. It, it should be the same thing. You know, I know a dealer is looking at it the same way, but, but if you don't have the data that gets you all the way to the finish line, then one of the things we've really done is invest in building better data pipelines, right? So we don't really get a consistent feedback loop of who bought a car. Right. So I, we'll send the lead off or you'll get a lead into a dealership. We don't always get that feedback loop from the CRM of the dealer that says this person did or did not buy a car. Well, that makes it more challenging for us to go find people who uh, may be purchasers. So that's exactly what we did. And that's one of the investments that we've made in the last year is to find DMV records and make matchbacks so that we could figure out who were the people that bought. So now we can get down to say, actually, this person searching on this minute keyword in this geo might be likely to buy a car and this person might not. That differentiation starts to funnel down. And so what our dealers should start to see uh, and what I would encourage to see when you have the right data is that it feeds down and you can make those decisions about where do you spend your money and where do you hold back. Starting to think instead of hiring physics PhDs, you should hire homicide detectives because it seems like there's a lot of Sherlock Holmes that goes into this of putting clues together and then using that to, to to solve, and this is a bad, this is a good analogy and a bad analogy, but to solve those future crimes before they happen. Well, you know, it's, there is a layer of intuition uh, to carry that forward. There's a layer of intuition that's really tricky. And, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of people now will pound the story about data. It's not unique for me to say, Hey, the data is going to tell answers and give you answers. It's a really interesting challenge because there's this layer of the data will tell you the answers and also a layer of intuition and understanding what's happening to avoid following bad data off a cliff, 
right? So if you look at a certain uh, certain program, and I know from a dealer perspective, one of the things that can be challenging is, hey, all the leads that come in on my website, those are my best ones. They close at the highest rate. I, w- I would understand that. So a lot of people who are searching the name of the dealers, they're comfortable with uh, the dealership, the brand, and you're really looking at that. And then and then you discount what you got from maybe your other marketing partners, like marketplaces, et cetera, because the lead actually came in off your website. It can be really challenging to say, how likely is it that the consumer started on my website, right? How likely is that? And the answer is, is not very likely, right? You can just look at any search results page and know that they probably started somewhere else. So it's really challenging because the data is saying, invest only in your website. This is where the best return is. The ROI is the best. And then you know that there's this probably this trade-off uh, that's happening. But that gray area is where you both can make great decisions that really improve um, uh, the performance and the output of your marketing programs. And it's also where you can make some bad decisions uh, where you thought something was contributing based on what you were seeing and it wasn't. And so uh, that's that's where that intuition, the Sherlock Holmes uh, following procedure, using data slash just knowing and, and having some experience uh, pays off. I, I probably know the answer to this, but I want some confirmation. Looking back at travel, at real estate, Attribution has to be harder within the auto space than those, right? Just because there's just so many avenues to come in. It's you can come from anywhere, and then it, it, the length of the process, right? I think that's the part we can't give up on. Is the process is so long, it's it's so unlikely that anyone was a single channel car shopper. Could you imagine? Like, I saw I clicked one time on my mobile phone and then bought the car. The dealer's dream. And the dealers, everyone's everyone's dream. If if it was that transparent, but I think. Uh, everyone knows that that there's a number of steps in cross shopping. Google did this analysis, and this was great coming from Google because Google would have all the incentive in the world to say, "Go through search. They're going to come through search once they find it and then paint this picture of this beautiful funnel." And what they did when they tracked users, so they had a group of people they were actually tracking their phone who opted in for this. And once they went to a third-party marketplace and submitted a lead, so they've kind of identified a car, the velocity of their shopping increased. Right? We had this picture that once you started narrowing it down, you'd get you'd get closer and closer to the vehicle. And then what starts to happen is you get a, a FOMO, like make sure I had the right deal. Make sure this is a uh, this is the right one. Are there others out there while I'm still shopping? And until that happens, so they start to accelerate as they get closer to the funnel, which I think is, is counter to how we think about start with a big audience and then or start with a big one and then narrow down to uh, to your single choice. And, and, and that happened in other industries too, where in real estate, you would still see a lot of activity comparing homes, right? What else is available in my neighborhood? Did I make the right choice? Is this the best house? I know for a while after after we purchased our home, my wife would give me regular updates on the status of our home in the marketplace and and, and travel too. I mean, that's why uh, there's been such a boon of like kayak comparison shopping and pricing because you just want to make sure that you have the right thing. So it, it holds up in both places, but the long cycle for, for auto makes it difficult. Shifting gears outside the cars universe a little bit, moving forward, everyone's going to have to do more with less. And uh, you can call that a bad cliche if you wish, I won't argue. Uh, But it was invented for times like these when you have to do literally more than you did or would have done before to capture that most important share of your potential business, but without the ability to add resources devoted to the task. So what kind of advice slash guidance can you offer in how dealers can be successful in this new environment, especially if they're trying to, you know, figure out who's out there, what they want, and how to get their attention, but they have less to do that with. Yeah, it's the, that's the the classic marketing saying, right? The fifty uh, percent of your marketing dollars are working, fifty percent aren't. You just don't know which fifty percent. So it'd be easier to cut it all the way down if you knew exactly what it was that was uh, that was delivering the results. 
I think one of the things that a situation like this gives is permission to break things in a way that maybe you always thought you wanted to, right? A lot of the messages we're talking about around getting uh, potentially getting more data centric, re- uh, some of the thoughts we may have had, like, should I pay five, six dollars a click? For Google, I don't feel like you can afford to pull that back right now in a good time. Well, now when you can't afford to, to pull that back, what we're finding is incredibly rich data. So to give an example, if I was spending $25,000, $30,000 a month as a dealership in my Google SEM, right? If I had to take that down to 10, well, what, what kind of results did I get for 10? How expensive were the clicks? Were the clicks now cheaper? How much cheaper were they? Is that something I can rely on in the future? How many more clicks was I getting for that extra $20,000 I used to spend, right? Those are numbers that you probably didn't feel comfortable in finding out when you felt like you couldn't leave and you needed to stay at that $30,000, $25,000 rate. Uh, Now that information is valuable and it's information you should log and use and then think about when did I really start losing efficiencies in these programs? Uh, And I think that's the information that we're finding really valuable right now uh, is that reducing resources gives you new data points that tells you kind of how the entire market's working and when this stops being an effective channel for you. Uh, And that information is is new and, and should be kind of relished in the moment. And then and then the other part is is being willing to break some old processes. It's a lot of information for dealers to kind of think about right now at a time where they don't have a lot of time to process it. And regular changes that, that go on, you know, despite the environment we're in, you know, wh- whether or not we're in this time or not, kind of kind of make that complicated. And I know that we, we at Cars have seen success over the years in uh, knowing um what Google algorithm updates are not not knowing is then we know what's coming up, but knowing how to kind of construct our search strategy in a way that we benefit from those because of kind of an honest approach to that. We have that scale. A lot of dealers don't. So how do they approach that? Like, how do they kind of get that information when they don't have the time or the resources to kind of know like what kind of changes are coming up? Yeah, SEO, uh, SEO at the local level is, is can be really challenging, right? To keep up with that on a regular basis. So for something like that, speaking to uh, creating the right performance, it's just about creating a cadence of doing the right thing over and over again. That That is the underlying story for SEO is do the right things over and over again. And we really simplify that down into how well are you answering the user's question, right? There's a reason that Google calls it a query. Right. Anything that you type in, it's that you're looking for an answer to whatever it is that you're searching for. If that's, you know, looking for a Ford Explorer, that's it. You're asking about Ford Explorers. You're trying to get that information. So what I would advise anyone who's doing that is it's the same cadence. Do you answer the question well? Do you put the user's priority ahead of them? That means does your site load quickly? Right. Do you have content around that that's rich? Is it relevant? Does it get updated, right? Are you using the same content that you used four years ago? Then that's probably not as relevant as someone who did put new content in that was um, targeted. Uh, So if you just hold those principles true, then that actually helps you to smooth through an environment like that, which is create it, you know, do it fast, write it well, keep it up to date, the same way that you would hope uh, that someone would answer a question for you. And that that's something that actually helps to limit down uh, all the noise and just lets you focus on that no matter what's happening in the economy, those things uh, uh, turn out to be true and you can just continue to do that. It's a lot to absorb here. What do you feel is the, the one most important thing for dealers to know and keep in mind moving forward? Yeah, I think at this moment right now, it's that simplification of, of looking at 
what data is driving and then how that makes sense in terms of how car shoppers are shopping, right? Like take a couple things that you know are true, both as a shopper and someone who's been a marketer for some time and uh, set those as your foundation, right? How does the car shopping process start? Well, it starts 70% with a search online, right? Like that's one of your first answers in terms of what you're going to do for marketing. So as you think about your portfolio, where you're spending money, where do you make cuts? Say, hey, that's the first place you start. Where does the user usually go from there? That's most likely just on the way Google runs, going to be algorithmic. Then are they helping to get someone to the website? Because usually then we see people uh, start to funnel down eventually to the website so they can see if the dealership they're shopping with is the right one. And then they you know, arrive on site and then don't lose them, right? Like So put the right processes in place right now uh, so that anyone who does come through, you're able uh, to work them all the way to the transaction because that process is going to be longer and harder now. But you kind of put a couple of those bedrocks in place and then you work from there. And then as confidence in the business grows, then you look for ways to expand and, and build off of that base. But that being rock solid uh, means that you're going to you're gonna at least be working from a really strong, healthy spot as you then uh, feel more comfortable expanding out uh, the business. Follow the data, but don't let it lead you off a cliff. I really like that quote, and I think it'll stick with me because it's so applicable to so many different decisions we have to make both in business and just in life itself. I think almost anyone who's successful has found that success through a proper balance of evidence and intuition, and this really should be no different. I hope you all enjoyed our conversation with John today as much as I did, and hopefully his advice can help some of you out there think through whatever marketing challenges lie ahead for your business. And if anything, just remember that when building a team, no skill may be as valuable as a unique approach to problem solving. I'm Peter Stork. Thanks again for listening and tune in again next week for another new episode of Unscheduled Maintenance.